0: Hello and welcome to VChat number 31, uh, this is our VMworld 2012 edition with a uh, special guest as you might have noticed, uh, the, the distinguished Mr. Mike Laverick. Uh, I'm David Davis from VMwarevideos.com and TrainSignal.
1: And I'm Simon Seagrave from TechHeads.co. And I'm uh, Eric Siebert from
2: vSphereland.com. And I'm Mike Laverick now of VMware.com, uh, legendary, the man behind RTFM Education which sadly is no more. <laughs> Sadly, <laughs> I tell you that I remember reading that site way back when you
3: had the uh, the manuals on the old uh, ESX service commands, all the service mm-hmm. console commands, and all that stuff, and all that stuff. So yeah, it's been around a long time, and a lot of great content
1: yeah.
2: you've had over the years. Yeah, so. it's well established, isn't it? Yeah, and I'm not going away. <laughs> I'm not going to retirement. I'm not going to some golf cart place in the in the sky. I'll still be on the scene. Don't worry.
3: Good. <laughs>
1: So, So Mike, your new role at uh, VMware there, so what what does that entail? Tell us a little
2: bit about it. Well, I'm part of the uh, cloud infrastructure part of the business, which uh, also includes things like Virtual Center and ESX, but includes the the cloud status of of products, things like vCloud Director, as you know, and a lot of the other kind of associated technologies like vShield and and Chargeback. Uh, The job title is Senior... Cloud infrastructure evangelist—that's that's the full title. But there's a, a big kind of social media uh, aspect of that. So, it, in many ways, it's not unlike what I've been doing for the last two years or even beyond. Uh, it just so happens to be I'm on the, the other side of the fence rather than being on the independent side of the fence. I'm on the on the inside. I, I guess the biggest challenge will be being filled up with lots of really interesting stuff but not being able to talk about it because of you know non-disclosure and things like it but I guess you face the same thing as an independent, you sign an NDA but you have to hold back on that content until you can get the green light from the, the people you signed the NDA with so it's kind of very similar but also very different I imagine.
1: Yeah, around the NDAs there, uh, Eric I don't know uh, how you found it as well, I mean the the line really does blur, after a while you get to know so much information about stuff and after a while it gets very hard to keep tabs on what is NDA, what isn't, Uh, I always found when I was an independent you know generally if I went to a briefing I could just differentiate the two a lot better but uh, yeah, it definitely gets a lot trickier, um, especially when you're blogging or you're doing a podcast like this, for example. Um, I've taken the rule of thumb of generally, if I'm not at all certain, I keep my mouth shut, um, and that seems to, that seems to have worked out so far. Uh, I haven't had Chad uh, <laughs> tapping me on the shoulder before now, so I think uh, I think that seems to be working that approach. But it's interesting. It is is a very um, very fine line to walk, you know.
3: Yeah, but it's cool being on the inside and be able to see all that stuff that you traditionally wouldn't see if you're on the customer-facing side. So you know, for me, I've really enjoyed being able to have that whole inside scoop now on that. You know, and I know you can't talk about that stuff, but at least you're involved with it early on, you know, before it's released to the public, which is pretty cool.
2: I think the other thing I found is when I've been in the U.S. and I've done like two days with Dell or two days with NetApp or with EMC, I've. I've produced all the content and then before I've released it I've said to them I wasn't really sure what I've written, is, it, is this still under the NDA, is this embargoed or not so sometimes I think bouncing back some of your content to whoever it is is a, a way of kind of covering your back a little bit um, because even when you do independent stuff if you spend two days with a vendor on site uh, you don't want to spend all your time going is this NDA, is this not NDA, is, is this uh, available now You know, you. know you just want to absorb it all, you know. Sorry about that, guys. <laughs> Making some noise. Of course, the
1: then, one time right? someone has to ring,
3: ring the phone. Uh, I don't know what that was. So, Mike, you were like one of the last independent bloggers, and now, you know, if you look at the top ten, I think all we have left is Eric Sloof, and that, you know, it yeah, like I was, I was, I w- <laughs> I was in
2: uh, Amsterdam just a couple of weeks ago. I met up with Eric and his and his wife. Um, Eric and and my partners uh, have sort of become friends on the uh, spouse activities at VMworld last year, and I was saying, yes, you know, uh, i i'm number two of the independents in the top ten. It just so happened that there was only two of us, so therefore I was last in the top ten um picking up not a bronze but a kind of i don't know a copper medal for 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 doing so yeah i guess uh it, it's true that uh a lot of us who started off as independents or affiliated with partners or in the channel somewhere have have gone over to the vendor side and I, I imagine that over the time of your entire career, you, you know that situation could change again. So, you know, once some of these guys have done ten or fifteen years with a bender, maybe they'll go back to their independent roots. You, you never know. But uh, yes, uh, Eric's out there in the top ten of the one and only independents <laughs> now left in in uh, in your blog roll and in and in polling. Yep, we'll see how long he lasts. <laughs> well I figure what's what's going to happen with our community is if, if the community is just based around a very small number of, of individuals it won't last and so we'll always be looking for new people coming up the ranks to refresh and reseed the community because you know once we all pass into retirement and we're all playing golf against each other in Florida so there'll have to be some other people who take over what we do and you know send that message out for the next generation so I'm very keen to bring on new people and constantly refresh the community with new individuals and highlight new people because that's how it will keep its spontaneity I think.
3: Yeah yeah
2: definitely.
0: Well, they've started up those VExpert special interest groups and I know one of them is about, you know, blogging and others are about public speaking and stuff like that. And I I sort of see it as, uh, just as you're talking about, you know, a way to to train uh, those who are upcoming in the industry to,
2: you know, potentially, like you said, replace us one day. So, uh, interesting. It's very tempting to sign up for every one of those special interest groups but I picked just the public speaking one. Yeah. Mainly because... In the last year and a half, I've done some public speaking to large organizations, but for me, it's still something I'm learning about, so I want to try and contribute or as much learn from those, whereas some of the other ones, I thought there are plenty of other people who can teach about podcasting and blogging and things like this, but I want to pick a special group where I will learn as much as I can contribute in a, in a field where I still think I'm kind of working out. Way as I do, and of course, a lot of the public speaking I have done was done as an independent. Now I have to put it through that filter of, well, you're now representing a company, and I'm very conscious that I'm, you know, representing a lot of employees and their families and livelihoods. I don't want to say something stupid and, <laughs> and cause embarrassment to the company of those people because, you know, it's not just the customers. On the business, it's it's those people's livelihoods and their, their futures that you potentially could affect if you say something injudicious, shall we say? Yeah,
0: yeah, that's funny. Uh, you bring up the NDAs. Um, I was talking to someone from uh, who works at VMware this week, and I asked them just sort of offhand a question that popped into my mind about, you know, hey, do you think you guys will ever merge this product with this product? And I got a strange answer. And, you know, the person said uh, we have three hundred and fifty thousand customers. And then he laughed and he said, actually, I went to media training and they said, anytime someone asks you a question that we're not supposed to answer, you know, just say, we have 350,000 customers and just leave it at that. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's that's funny. Just a funny story that happened this week.
2: It's tricky, isn't it? Because I've, I've been thinking about this thing for a while, um, what it might be like when it changes. And. I think one of the things we all want to avoid is speaking in that kind of corporate speak that isn't direct isn't really you um, and the analogy I have sometimes used for it is a bit like our politicians all our politicians now go through media training and they've become so expert at not answering questions <laughs> that in the UK we have this new style of presenter which like really goes after the politician I mean really aggressive in an attempt to get them to say something that is genuinely of them about what they think, rather than this kind of "well, going forward we envisage a period of yada yada yada," you know. But at the same time, you still want to come across in a professional way, and but at the same time, not hide behind a load of sort of verbiage at the end of the day.
0: Right. Right.
2: But I, I think it's led to this situation, you know. Like people are a bit disengaged by politicians because the way they talk. Mm-hmm. If you're not careful, the way we speak in a corporate world can become very disengaging because it becomes, well, we. Got three hundred and fifty thousand customers. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that's not really answering the question, is it? But I kind of sympathise with that person's response to some degree. I think. Yeah. Um, and one thing that uh, you know, I always think
1: as well, Mike, is it's kind of hard when you go to work for a vendor because, especially if you're an established blogger such as yourself, you know, and, and Eric and David there, um, if you go and work for a vendor, uh, a, a vendor, you know, you've obviously built up quite a following, and uh, people get to trust you after a while about you know what you're saying, what you're doing. So, um, you know, when I went to work for a vendor. I, I mean, I took that very seriously because, obviously, you know, people get to know and trust what you say. So, uh, you know, there's that level of integrity you've got to try and uh, what well, you've got to maintain, obviously, as well. And I think a lot of it comes down to the company you work for, how much leeway they give you, as well, to actually just remain being your own person. Give you a few, you know, common sense guidelines to work by, but uh, you know, hopefully, continue and, and, and see that as a positive thing. You know that. Uh, uh you know that personal relationship you have with your readers uh, rather it's, than it's sort of close you down.
2: It's funny that you mentioned that, although I, I didn't actually put it on my Farewell Post and RTFM. I did have it in the first draft which was uh, my first days on uh, on Monday the 6th of August and the 7th day I'm booked in for a frontal lobe lobotomy <laughs> uh, by which <laughs> my cranium is opened up, the Mike Laverick brain is taken out and the VMWare brain is put in and suddenly everything that VMWare <laughs> does is wonderful and excellent and you know that person who has been reprogrammed by you know some sort of cult and they can't look you in the eye they have to sort of look just a bit above your eyes in that kind of scary way of like and I think you're right uh, it's going to be an interesting kind of not tightrope but uh, balancing act between obviously extolling the virtues of what VMware does for customers but at the same time not coming across as I think the term would be elixitler you know the sort of just everything is wonderful that we do Uh, because I know that if I became that kind of person people would just go oh look what's happened to Mike and off they would go in their droves but at the same time uh, I have to be a bit careful I think in the past I probably was able to say this that and the other about a product well now those people are my colleagues you know yeah. team members who spent many months maybe even years developing a technology so an off the cuff remark like, oh why doesn't it do this could create a lot of uh, blowback as, as they call it for me so it's, it's, I guess it's a responsibility there to to the community but also to my colleagues and it's balancing the, that um, but what I, I think is no kind of um, mystery that the vast majority of the stuff I've produced and promoted is being VMware so when I went for the the interviews I was saying to them uh, I've been VMware's unpaid Evangelist for many many years, and it, it's time you guys gave me gave me yes, a salary. Right. And it caused a laugh. There was an element of truth in it as well. I hope they give you some back pay too. <laughs> no, certainly uh, not. <laughs> no, no uh, holiday time off in lieu either. Sadly. Oh, okay. <laughs> so Mike, I hear you you're get- moving to California now too, huh? That's right, um, the first year is spent in uh, the UK, uh, not to bore you too much with the uh, complexities of Uncle Sam's visa application process, ah, okay. but it, it turned out to be simpler to work for VMware for a year in the UK and then do the transfer to Palo Alto okay. um, rather than trying to under the visa application process. Without going into too much detail it's a bit of a tortoise and a hare situation, and it worked out that the tortoise was just as quick as using the hair. The outcome oh, okay. was the same. So in terms of the complexity of the application, it's simpler if you work for a year and then do the transfer. So That's yes, we're heading off to of sunny California. Big change. It's just slightly better than what I can see out of my window. <laughs> right.
1: I was going to say, Mike, how will your poor pale English skin cope in that harsh Californian sun there? You'll have to, you'll have well, to ease yourself into it.
2: Yeah, I don't know whether you saw on Alan Renews Facebook the other day that uh, he, would, he was out surfing in the Pacific and it was foggy and cloudy, and he was surprised that he got sunburned. So even when it's uh, overcast and cloudy in the Bay Area because of the the you know cool air of the Pacific hitting the warm air of the land, you still have to, if you're a, a pale white British person like me, <laughs> grease up with the appropriate UV protection to stop yourself going all <laughs> pink and burned. Mm-hmm. So I have. To careful
0: so tell us about your new book what's this book you've got
2: well uh, not content with saying goodbye to RTFM I managed to get the, a book I've been working out released basically on the same day uh, as you might imagine it was a bit of a push but we made it in the end um, I'm not the sole author this time I've been uh, ably assisted by a uh, V expert called Barry Coombs who's based here in the UK and the title take a deep breath, is building end-user computing solutions with VMware View. <laughs> and the reason we ended up with such a long title is I really wanted to get the phrase end-user computing and uh, Barry really wanted to get the words VMware View in. Yeah. So we had to mash up the two and end up with this really long uh, sentence. But um, it's a project that more or less got started a year ago while I was still writing the SRM book and putting the finishes touches to that. Barry made a start on revising some content I had around the old View 4.5 product. And then as soon as the SRM book came to the end, I then steamrolled into helping Barry with those early chapters, but also adding new content. So it's um, 559 pages long, wow. albeit with lots of big screen grabs. <laughs> uh, it's more than 100,000 words in length, uh, 27 chapters, it's uh, nine pounds 99, which is about, I don't know, 12 books, 13 books to download as a PDF. And the hard copy when it's ready will be 19 pounds 99 British pounds, about 23 uh, US dollars. And all the royalties are being donated to our chosen charity this year, which again for me, is UNICEF. So not only do you get this great content, but all the money raised through selling the book either in uh, ebook format or in paper book format goes to supporting a good cause which helps children across the globe uh, not just in Africa and not in developing nations but also in projects in the US and in mainland Europe as well so it's a really good cause and really good content as well. How's that for a pitch?
1: That's great. That's a very good cause indeed yeah yeah definitely Mike. Full full credit to you guys and um... Yeah, no, I I'll definitely, I think I'll probably, I don't know, I might wait for the paperback, uh, the paper copy. So I'm guessing obviously you're not going through a publisher for this, you're self-publishing. How, how's that experience been, been as well? Is, uh, you know, has that given you a lot more uh, autonomy on what you can do and the look and feel of the book?
2: Most definitely. Um, just so people have an idea, when an author is writing for a publisher, finishes the manuscript and goes, that's it, no more changes except bug trapping or typos, you're really looking at maybe a six to nine months process before that book will hit the shelf. Uh, in the case with the SRM book, I was very fortunate that the VMware Press gave the sanction to release an author's edition for last year's VMworld. Because if you remember, that book actually didn't fully ship until I think um, October or November, or maybe even a bit later, as a, a final cooked document. The, the great thing about self publishing is, as a self published author, you decide of what the quality assurance is, and I think about two or three weeks ago, me and Barry said that's it. We're not making any major changes. Uh, everything else is just uh, tidying up the review process and dotting the t's and crossing the dotting the t's, dotting the eyes and crossing the t's. <laughs> um, and uh, it means a much faster route to market. So I think uh, it took me a week. To go into the publishers, get the files, do it all, and have it out on the Friday. Um, I started assembling the book on the Monday, and I had it in Lulu on the Friday uh, morning or Friday lunchtime, which, you know, that's five days compared to five or six months of, of production time.
3: Yeah, and that's definitely a huge win, especially with these books have life cycles based on the versions as they're written upon too, and when you're waiting that long to get it out the door, the next version may be right around the corner, And that. so getting it out as quick as possible is really the key there. Sure. I yeah, mean, I think, I, think
2: it, I would say that writing a book is a bit like painting the Golden Gate Bridge, but I read somewhere recently that they don't paint the Golden Gate Bridge anymore. They've got the right kind of paint on it that they don't have to start at the beginning once they get to okay. the end, but <laughs> writing a book is precisely like that, as you well know, Eric.
3: Yeah, I was the yeah, I mean, victim think
2: of having a VI3 book come out right
3: when vSphere came out, so <laughs> that was uh, not, a, not a good timing there. No,
1: no, I think we're going to see a lot more te- technical uh, authors pub- self-publishing. I mean, it makes a lot more sense. You know, to Eric's point there, you know, it's just, you know, as soon as you get something out the door, generally you may have, what, six months shelf life before it's superseded with a new version, especially for these companies, you know, that seem to go on a one-year product cycle on things. So, uh, you know, the fact you've got that autonomy to... to get it look and feel how you want and get it out the door nice and quickly so you can maximize the, uh, the exposure and availability of the book definitely makes sense.
2: Yeah the people I really have sympathy for is the people who have to do videos of course because <laughs> writing a book you can open it up and edit it and change it but once you've got a segment of video recorded and the product changes you really have no option but to start the recording process all over again and videos I think are even more of a challenge because of that change because of you capture things frame by frame at least with books you can go in and edit the text and replace a few screen grabs which was what we had to do between uh, view 5.0 and 5.1 because there were some graphical changes there Uh, videos on the other hand would be an entirely different kettle of fish a certain individual I know on the call would be able to speak Mm. to this Definitely, I know we're going
0: yeah yeah, I know what you mean I I have that problem actually right now Um, you know between um, vSphere 4 and vSphere 5, and you know who knows what else VMware is going to be releasing soon. So, and, and when they change, you know the the GUI especially, it's an immediate difference. You know yeah. everyone can see in a video. So, um, and Mike, you were involved on in one of the first big VMware
3: books ever, the ATDG. You know way back with uh, what was that ESX 2? Was that written on?
2: Well, the, f- the first ever, ever book written on uh, ESX was uh, Ron Oglesby and Scott Harrell's Scott. Uh, The Advanced Design yeah. Guide, And then their update that for vi 3 is when I got in on the party. Okay, and that's one. They, half of the book was them uh, writing the design guide, and the other half was a kind of operational guide, the nuts and bolts of how you do these things, uh, which is where I came in. And a lot of the early content that was on RTFM that I'd given away for free, Became the the skeleton for writing that book because obviously once you're in a commercial book, the quality of what you write has to be not just a numbered list of steps, but you know a lot more richer in terms of what you're you're offering there. With this book, I think what makes it uh, what made it a bit of a challenge <laughs> is there you go. There you go. <laughs> I always love that light bulb. Uh, you never
1: even uh, opened that, David. That's looking <laughs> brand new. <laughs> <laughs>
2: my enough.
1: one's absolutely knackered. It's got it's dog-eared. It's got pages this falling out. This is
3: going in the museum. So,
2: but to, speaking about the, the you know painting the Golden Gate Bridge, the book doesn't just contain VMware View. We've got Teradici in there with the Apex cards. We've got V uh, Shield with Bit Defender for relocating AV outside of the desktop um... got f-5 networks and big ip for load balancing across the security servers um, not just view but ThinApp, app Thin app factory and horizon application Manager. we're talking about six or seven vendors each with their own different cycles the, the chapter on load balancing where i focused on uh, f-5 big ip i think went through about three or four revisions as as i was writing it and said we're done a new version of their iApp, as it's called for big ip got released and of course the graphics had changed and some of the questions <laughs> had changed. So I'd do that again, go off somewhere else, then another version would come out. So I mean, I think maybe to, to speak to your situation with the VI3 book, Eric, I, I wouldn't have said that what you released uh, was lacking any value whatsoever but just because Vsphere 4 had come out. Because we all know that being able to move from one platform to another for a large global corporate takes at least 18 months to two years so there would have been a definite overhang of people who were still coming into those businesses still needing to know BI 3.5 because that's what we've got in the house with a view of well in 18 months time or more we'll be moving over to vSphere 4 and as far as I can tell within VMware there's every expectation that with product release cycles of every year or two years major and minor, major and minor that we're going to face a situation where customers are on different uh, platform releases, and they're going to have to be supported on those platforms. I think the days of us saying it's a new release, there's a gap every three years, now everybody moves over within six months. That's kind of over. The uh, release uh, cycle is so aggressive now. Um, you know, we're going to have to support customers on older versions of the platform in a way that perhaps VMware didn't have to do in the very early days of ESX2. You know, where It was very easy for a small, you know, upgrade to take place and a move over to happen very rapidly. Yeah, and one one thing I I kind of learned too is you don't put the version on the cover
3: in that you because (laughs) a lot of that content still applies to the new the new version regardless of that that point change in that. So putting the version on the cover though is a big. People see that oh Well, that's the old version. I'm not going to buy that, despite knowing what's inside the book. So I found that you know, my second book, I didn't put any versions on the cover at all. It was just you know, vSphere and that was it. You see that all the time at the VMWorld bookstore, don't you? People always gravitate to the
1: latest versions of the books. You know, the you know, with the versionings on the front. It's, uh, it's a good point, Eric.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. There was a overhang in the fact of being technology people. We always want the latest thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a couple of months ago. Well, I'm not interested in that. I want the latest thing, and you know, it happens with our gadgets. I guess it happens with our books as well, doesn't it? Yeah.
0: I'm really impressed that it, the book is a lot more than just uh, you know using VMware View and ThinApp. There's you know all these third-party solutions, and so uh, it's it sounds like something I, I'd really you know enjoy reading. So I'm I'm gonna make sure I pick up a a copy. You said PDF or the hard the hard copies is coming. On it's
2: way, um, the, the drop zone for it is if you type in uh, uh, EUC, uh, book.com that will take you to rage, okay. if you visit uh, rtfm education the second page after mine goodbye notice was the launching of the book. Uh, it's funny what you asked about what's the self-publishing process has been like because we have actually hit a bit of a snafu with the hard copy um, I've self published through Lulu about five times, never had a problem, I've always ordered the hard copy first to check that it's good before it making it publicly available and I'm really glad I did it this time because they seem to have a problem with publishing our uh, PDF file as a hard copy and uh, I got an email back from Lulu just today that said it's because some of the characters use windings. Oh, Uh, and have not been uh, rasted into a particular font type and we recommend you either take this font out or you uh, create a PDF 1.6.3.4.5 build which where this isn't an issue and it's like who would have thought something like that would create a problem printing a PDF you you know because a PDF is meant to be print anywhere as far as I'm you know unlike Word where if you don't have the font installed then the font doesn't show (laughs) The PDF should be almost like an image, if you like, of of the document, so I wasn't aware that these uh, font issues that could uh, creep in, you know.
1: Yeah, I'd always always thought that as well, Mike, uh, I've done a few things recently actually um, where that's caught me out, the PDFs, uh, I've had some uh, printing done, I mean some stickers I'm getting made up for VMworld. also doing something for the VBs as well, We're doing some pretty cool things, uh, a couple of little cool things there as well. And uh, I had to submit uh, the artwork via PDF and one of their prerequisites was include the font files as well if you're not using standard font files because we won't have them on our computer otherwise. Uh, mm-hmm. And this was quite a large, uh, you know, printing outfit. So, uh, yeah, like yourself, I always thought that the, the fonts are embedded within a PDF, but it sounds like there may be cases where that's not the case.
2: The funny thing is, is I opened up the Word document and did a a advanced find on Wingdings as a font, and I found one character where that piece of that font type had been used. Everywhere that character had appeared, it was in uh, Verdana or wherever it is. But there was just one character that, and I was like, "Oh, (laughs) how could this be?" But I'm really pleased I didn't just release it uh, without seeing the hard copy first, because there would have been hundreds of payments and then refunds and whatever through people not getting it. So I knew the PDF worked because you could see that, I could open it up on my laptop, put it on my iPad, I could view it okay. Um, The only other snafu that I've discovered is if you open the PDF using any PDF reader on a, a laptop or a MacBook Pro all the links are fine but as soon as it gets transferred to the iPad those links are no longer hot anymore they are just plain text they don't you have to highlight copy and paste them now the only reason I could think that can must be happening is PDF and links embedded behind a text that would be a great phishing exercise wouldn't it um, that people could click at a link in a PDF and it would take them somewhere that they weren't expecting so I imagine that you must have to go through the proper Apple way of getting the PDFs checked or put in an ebook format. So they can then guarantee the links that you're providing in the in the ebook are ones that can be trusted and don't take yep. you to some you know location. But it was kind of oh works on, on the uh, on the MacBook Pro fine, get it on the iPad, yeah, yeah, yeah. Press a link. Boom, nothing to doing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, if you oh, well, reader a reader reader. That might work too, you know, a like good reader or one of those. So there's a point I'm making here is if I'd gone through a conventional publisher None of these problems are issues. Yeah, I would have had that. Be, Sorry so about that. It's become your problems. And of course, yeah. the day you release a book, everybody goes, Is it on Kindle? Is it on Amazon? Is it on this ebook reader? And I was like, Look, we're just about struggling getting the paper copy out, <laughs> not with all these other formats. So yeah. it's time we're going to go through uh, and normalize a lot of the content and get it onto Apple and get it onto the Kindle. But in terms of Fastness to um, uh, to market pdf was the way forward and with me moving on from rtfm uh, I was lacking a, a channel by which to advertise it and get it out as many people as possible so I had to do that post and then try and like, promote it through twitter and other things because we don't have a marketing team either so that's the other thing you get with a conventional publisher. Links to old bookstores, channels into marketing, technology, uh, marketing content. You have to be your own marketeer So I must admit, it, self-publishing really does appeal to the entrepreneurial spirit because you really do have everything to do. You not only have to write the book, produce the book, market the book, and that's why I'm here with you today.
0: <laughs> so speaking of marketing, what was that URL again? It
2: was eucbook.com. <laughs> okay. brilliant. Well.
1: Well, I'll definitely be buying my, uh, my paperback copy when it comes out there, Mike, so i uh, be adding it to my bookshelf. Thank you
0: very much. Cool. So let's move on. Let's talk about uh, VMworld. Um, Mike, what are your VMworld plans? We'll start with you.
2: Uh, let's see. I actually uh, head off to uh, Palo Alto on the 20th. I'm spending a week uh, up at Hillview with, I want to say VMware, but I should say my employer or something. I don't know what to say. But it was part of the kind of new starter briefing stuff. Uh um then I popped down into downtown San Francisco. I've got two speaking slots to do Tuesday and Wednesday. I should know my slot number off the top of my head, but I don't without looking it up. But it's um SRM where theory meets practice. It's a uh co-present session um presenting alongside a guy called Jeff Jury from Mountain states Networking. And I'm Mr. Theory because I know nothing about the real-world uses of site recovery manager. <laughs> and the guy who's doing the case studies and the idea is we kind of tag as I talk about a particular conceptual thing he's going to be the guy coming in and you know we had a customer who had precisely this problem this is how we resolved it yada yada and where he's got a kind of unique customer experience what I'm going to be doing is saying from this experience can we develop our own set of best practices not just the VMware ones but our own kind of uh, community best practices, if you like based on what happened in the real world because wonderful though yeah, where best practices are heart and hand on heart the reality is is that they're only kind of recommendations or guidelines i think sometimes customers when they read best practices it's kind of we must follow the best practices now take out brain don't think anymore we followed best practices at all times and there's a certain sort of tendency to read the best practices very equivocally. So, they don't get interpreted in the context of my business or my situation. It says, VMware best practices this, therefore I shall do this at all times. And you and I know that in the real world, they have to be filtered through what the business's demands are, what the cost restrictions are, what they're trying to achieve. They're not a kind of hard and fast rule by which you then don't think anymore. It means your job will become very uncreative and I think there's a little bit of a tendency in our industry to hide behind the best practice it can become a bit of your cover your butt. you know I follow the best practices, <laughs> therefore he criticizes me I can I can say I'm not guilty and I don't get taken down to the county jail so that's the kind of angle that we're taking on it um, I'm keeping the diary for VMworld a bit free and open because as of yet I don't know what my responsibilities will be as an employee while I'm there so, they might want to pull me into those darkened corridors that lead off from the main locations and have me ride along on some of the early kind of discussions with customers. Um, I've got a book signing to do, and a couple of the vendors have asked to sort of meet and greet me. And I'm trying to put those around my sessions, but keeping the Monday and the, the Thursday free and the mornings free for any stuff I get pulled into. So, I'm trying to keep a bit of a blank canvas. But how about you guys? What have you got?
1: My advice to Steve Mike would be enjoy this VM world right because yes. although exactly. people do sort of know you you don't haven't like you said you haven't got your responsibilities yet and uh, I've had this once before actually before you've had time to get your feet under the table people don't want too much of your time if you're attending a show just just after you've started so uh, you' probably have a lot more time than you're going to have sort of going forward so uh, my advice was definitely uh, enjoy it and uh, assume you're probably going to have a ton of time compared to uh, what you're going to have in subsequent years that's for sure
3: okay. <laughs> Morning. Yeah it was exactly the same for me last year I had just joined HP and I'd not even been there a month so yeah same situation agreed there wasn't once you've been there a while you get more involved in the event have a lot more to do and get nailed down.
1: Yeah I had the same thing for EMC as well for uh, I, I think I've been working for EMC for two days. Oh wow. Less than a week actually before I went to EMC World so uh, you know that was great very good timing.
2: Are you guys speaking at VMworld World this year who's got a session? No.
1: Oops.
3: <laughs> we uh, it, it seems like you know if we look at all the sessions, there's just there's so many there's so few slots compared to all the submissions. It gets harder and harder, and it seems like VMware has taken a lot of the slots on for themselves because they have so many products now to present on, and that that you know it just becomes tough for the you know the partners, the vendors, the independents to get those slots. There's so mm-hmm. few.
0: Yeah, I, all I, four I, of my sessions were turned down, but I managed to wrangle a session uh, by being the moderator of a VMware session. Um, about VMware vCenter operations, where there, uh, Ben Shear, the product manager for vCenter operations, he had a, a contest, and we, uh, along with co-judges like Eric Sloof and Duncan Epping, um, we selected, you know, some winners. Uh, one winner for U.S. and one winner for Europe, and so we've got the winner uh, coming in, and we're it's basically a, a panel discussion. Um, so I'm going to play the moderator and, and talk about vCenter operations. So that's how I managed to get in the speaker catalog, but. Um,
2: that's, I think, a good strategy for an independent because I got a couple of VMworld trips by being asked by a vendor. One example was NetApp One year, would you co-present? And if they put you down as a co-presenter, then you qualify for a voucher to cover the the, the trip. Because the other thing you've got is your flight and your hotels, and hopefully you'll eat for free by you know. Grifting on as many parties and dinners as possible, which is what I used to do as an independent. Right, but you still get your flights, to hotels to, to consider about if you're truly an independent and not backed by another vendor. But it it is one way. I mean, I had four sessions, of which only one got approved. Believe it or not, I had a session with both me and on the same ticket. Me talking SRM, Scott Law talking about stretch clusters, but we were up against Chad, uh, uh, Vaughn Stewart, Lee Dilworth and Duncan uh, Epping, who all want to talk about the same topic, so like, you know, that's some competition, and yeah. we're all going to be like circulating around the same kind of information, maybe with a slightly different angle. But uh, I was, I was convinced the other ones wouldn't get through, but me and Scott Law, with our firepower, we'd get through, but we didn't. But uh, Same I thing. Think, uh, this year speaking of david's situation i think very often what the vendors get when an independent is on the ticket is they get your draw so you know yeah. you're bringing your 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 followers and the people that like watch your videos to their session so sometimes the independents, you know that to add a little bit of glamour to, to the occasion. That, that's the way you should see it, Devin.
3: Right, right. Yeah, definitely that's the way to try to latch on to something at least. Yeah, me and Scott Lowe actually submitted a session this year as well on a uh, Metro Storage Cluster. And, again, we were going up against Duncan, against Chad and all that. There was about five or six sessions on that. And uh, we got shut down. I think Duncan's was the only one that got approved. So, it's tough.
1: Yeah, I, I didn't.
3: I didn't even bother this year, actually. I'll be honest
1: with you. Uh, just through timings, I was too heavily immersed in EMC World, and uh, I'd kind of heard it was going to be quite uh, heavy with the EMC, uh, sorry, the VMware presenters. So, uh, yeah, I thought I'd uh, hold off this year. So, um, yeah, just as well as I did, I think.
3: <laughs> you know, but when you're not speaking, at least you're you're not tied down to something. You got more freedom to, to do things and that. So, you know, in a way, I'm a little bit kind of. You know, it gives you a lot a bit more free time to be able to do things and not have to worry about, you know, doing all the speaking stuff and all the stuff that goes associated with that.
0: Yeah. So, what about uh, parties and other events, uh, Simon? I know you've got a V beers plan.
1: Yeah, so we've got a V-Bears on the Saturday. So I uh, did the first V-Bears at uh, VMworld about, what, two, three years ago. Um, very impromptu, sort of like a tweet-up event at a place called The Chieftain. Um, it was literally very last minute, but it was well, well attended. We had probably about 30 people there, maybe even 40 by the end of the evening. Uh, it was a great time. It was very, very laid back, like I say. It was it was a tweet-up. It definitely, you know, wasn't a sponsored event. Everyone bought their own drinks type of thing. But it was just a really good time, and... Um, Looking at doing the same thing again this year, so uh, I've got information out on either vbeers.org or uh, techhead.co. I've got uh, a post up there as well. Um, response from people so far has been really uh, really positive. I think we're probably going to have a lot of people uh, this year. Um, As to how many I don't know, once again I'd just like to point out it's not a sponsored event, it's literally a community event, Uh, it's a tweet up, so literally you know turn up, it's just an opportunity to network, meet people, uh, just have a good time really uh, you know um, over some food and a drink type of thing but uh, it's a great great environment there, it's a nice place the Chieftain just to chill out and just chat to people and it should be a really good evening. So. yeah, I, I know there's a lot of events on there. So um, I'm just looking now, actually. Uh, if, you, if you're looking for a list of all the events, if you go to vmworld.com, forward slash community, forward slash gatherings. Now there's a good list there of all the uh, all the various events. Um, everything from the Vodgeball, are you, are you guys going to Vodgeball at all? Well, I'm I am know, indeed. Dude. Yeah, yeah. I think I'll be going this year. I missed it last year, so uh, I really want to go. I mean, that's that that's that's great. And they've made that and turned that into a charity event, which is great. Um, once again, a really good cause there. And then, of course, you've got the legendary uh, VM Underground on the Sunday night oh, yeah. as well oh, after, after the Vodball. So uh, yeah, yeah. Um, well done to the guys there at uh, pulling another VM Underground um, party as a service together uh, this year. Uh, I know a lot of work goes into that for them. Um, yeah. So um- I think. Tickets are very hard to get hold of this year, they they, they, um, they went pretty quickly from what I gather.
0: Yeah, and they've increased the amount of people who can come from 500 up to 750 and the tickets are still tough. Um, Train is a sponsor and uh, Train Signal won't have a booth this year, so that's actually the place I'm going to be giving away a limited number of uh, brand new V-Nerd shirts that we created for 2012. So uh, I hope you know everyone can make it and uh, get a shirt, so uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. What else is on
2: there, Can I promote a, a tweet-up? Please do. So a very special one, it's the v Bacon tweet-up for people who are big fans of bacon, and bacon is one of my favorite things. Uh, it's on uh, August the 28th, it's from 9 to 11 p.m. in the uh, uh, evening, and it's at the Cable Car City Pub, which I'm not quite sure where that is, but I imagine it's near where the Cable Cars are. Um, but yeah, there's a whole bunch of us on twitter have become bacon fans seems to be a lot of people from north carolina who i know who are into bacon as much as i am but it, <laughs> it seems to be a a very popular thing and apparently in san francisco there is a kind of dial a bacon service where you can actually dial up and they will deliver bacon to you cooked obviously not raw Sweet. in any format you desire and it's kind of one of these sort of micro takeaway things where they don't have a venue they just pull up and provide bacon so what more a man want in life. Everything's better with bacon, isn't it? Who, who doesn't like bacon? I can eat bacon <laughs> as a meal, and that's all me
1: pound too.
3: of it and just go to town. It's got to be crispy American. though, right? It's got to be really crispy. You know, I like American it both
2: ways—crispy and kind of softer. So I ah. kind of mix it up a bit. American bacon's quite different from from European bacon. I've noticed it. Like your bacon is like a lot thinner and kind of streakier, and it tends to be very, very like crispy. Whereas our bacon, well, we get ours. From, our, the bacon of the UK is from the UK; it's Danish bacon. We get it from the Danes. Is is a bit more like you were describing, kind of crispy around the edge, but meaty and full of goodness. Sweet <laughs> <laughs> sounds good. Hey, so, so, Mike, um, so when's when's your V bacon
1: sweet up happening? Uh,
2: that's on August the 28th. Uh, yeah. 9 to 11 p.m. at the Cable Car City pub. And it's not hey. my tweet, up. I'll be attending, but I think somebody else has, has managed to put that together. I think it's the, um, the Cisco guys over at um, uh, RTP, um, yep. the the Rally Technical Park over in Rally Durham, who've, who've put that together. So, like a good event, so uh, Yeah, no, no, de- definitely. So, you know, if, if everyone
1: listening to this, they go to vmworld.com forward slash communities forward slash gatherings. Everything's there. Actually, looking through the list, I see there's one there for a VMworld cream puff tweet up as well. it's
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: you know, of uh, cream puffs. But <laughs> so there we go. I
1: think like it's getting more, more diverse every year.
0: Um, <laughs> yeah, I know uh, Zangadi's having a uh, party, an in, some sort of invite party, and it's bourbon and bacon. So Oh, a lot wow. Bacon going around it. At VMworld. Big thing. I know the V Stogies
1: is happening again this year, isn't
0: it,
1: as well?
3: Um, is, is Jason Bob, he organizing that or one of those guys? So Which one? The V Stogies? The V Stogies, I think that's happening again, isn't it? Yeah, he sent me an email on that uh, or a tweet and that, um, trying to get that organized. I don't think we have the details yet of where it's going to be in that. It's typically later in the evening on one of those days, It'd be yeah. a, a Sunday or Monday. Sometimes it's just an informal thing, too. We all just go out and, and smoke Stogies, so we'll probably have something on that soon. Yeah, I, I saw a blog post recently about it, so uh, it was towards the end of the week, I think, from
1: memory, like you say, in, in the evening. And, and I guess one other, um, you know, one other sort of event or week-long event I want to make mention of as well is the Spoustivities, so uh, this is a really good uh, series of events put together by Crystal Loeb.
3: Oh, yeah, definitely.
1: Keep uh, the spouses occupied. Yeah, so, so um, check out Spoustivities. More information
3: there. Yeah, I know uh, SolarWinds is having a big uh, V Mixer too, and that that uh, they sent me an initial invite on. I haven't checked that out yet, but that sounds good too. I
2: thought, as it was Jerry Goethe wearing a cap indoors, I should go out and get my cap on. <laughs> hey, hang on, hang on. I hang thought it was going to
0: say bacon on it.
2: Yeah. No, sadly, I picked this up in the state of Maine. I was over at the New England V-Mug a couple of weeks ago and did some presenting over there, if you, ever, you guys ever have a chance to go to the New England V-Mug, please go, they had uh, a lobster bake-off, a hot air balloon and also guitarist musicians playing after the actual event itself, Wow! held in the high school, it was fantastic, one of the most amazing V-Mugs I've been to in a very long time, but I thought as you guys were wearing caps, I should put my cap on too. <laughs> That's
0: right. That's right. What about you, Eric? Anything you want to talk about related to VMworld?
2: No,
3: just looking forward uh, to going again. And uh, you know, San Fran definitely um, a lot more enjoyable than Las Vegas, I think. So it should be another good event.
0: How many of us are going to see Bon Jovi? Mm. I got one. No? I'm going. Maybe. Oh yeah. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. I'm not too sure whether know. my ticket
1: gets me, uh, to, get me to that event, I think I'm on a uh, exhi- exhibitor's ticket, so uh, I'm not too sure whether I uh, I get to go to that or not, but uh, I th- I th- yeah, I if I get to go that's cool, otherwise.
2: There is an event which is on uh, an unparting, um, which is at the Tornado uh, the same night, for those people who don't like Bon Jovi, and I will be there, I'm not a Bon Jovi fan, sorry. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, so but yeah, there's a
2: an underground party for those people who, who who don't really want to put their fingers up in the air and uh, light a, a lighter at a gig. Yeah. What is the uh, Tornado or whatever that is? Is that a? a I think it's some sort of bar. Um, it doesn't say anything more than it's called the Tornado um, from eight pm to uh, four am in the morning. So. Uh, if you if you enjoy arriving for a session hungover the next on the same day uh, that's the party for you and uh, Bob Planker says hell
3: yeah tornado tornado rocks looks like hundred 121 RSVPs so far
0: Wow I should mention um, you know for a lot of people who didn't get sessions i um, I know that they're going to do uh, community tech talks in uh, the community lounge uh, so you know some people like uh, Eric Sloof and Matthias they're going to Present their um, MythBusters goes virtual there. Um, I'm going to do a session there, maybe you know talk about free tools or something. They're just short 30-minute sessions. I might be able to wrangle up a video crew to record some of them and hopefully post them on you know YouTube. But uh, you know everyone's welcome to attend that.
2: I, that'd I think be it's good, really good that yeah, that's yeah, be because that. because, uh... I think that's really good that's happened because as we were saying earlier, not every independent or everybody gets their session approved and. Uh, they have a you know the big festival they have in the Edim- in edinburgh they call it the edinburgh fringe it was actually uh the sideline part of of a main festival and what's happened is the fringe has actually become the main festival over the last 20 odd years so who knows maybe this is the start of a, a kind of you know fringe festival for vmware and for VMworld. world yeah maybe maybe yeah, I think I, I
1: think that's a good idea I'd Like to see that because a lot of the past VMworlds have been, uh, you know, they've been built on uh, community inputs and, and uh, hard work, so it'd uh, be good to see that to, uh, continue there in some, some capacity.
0: Absolutely. Well, uh, I look forward to seeing you guys at VMworld. Yeah, uh, any final thoughts? Anyone?
2: No. Go out and buy the, the End Using Computer Book for VMware View, <laughs> and support a good cause, which is, is Unis stuff
3: eucbook.com sounds good
2: (laughs) All right. well thank thank you guys guys. see you you guys thank you for watching this episode of vchat the latest in virtualization and
1: cloud computing news and how to Eric, Simon and David want your feedback so send questions or ideas for future vchat topics to vchat at
3: trainsignal.com